In the first reading, we hear that the exiles have returned and rebuilt Jerusalem. Now Ezra, the priest, reads the law of Moses to them in the public square. When they hear it, they weep for their sins and for the long years in exile. But Ezra reminds them that the joy of the Lord is in their strength. The first reading is from Nehemiah, the eighth chapter. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. As he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is in your strength. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in the responsive reading of verses from Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The just decrees of the Lord are true. And the righteous altogether. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my Glory, Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Apostle Paul uses the metaphor of the human body to describe how intimately connected we are in the church. For this struggling congregation in Corinth, Paul delivers a vital message of unity that is a mark of the church today. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, 
I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our most presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendants and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, 
and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up and drove him out of the town. They brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. The Gospel of our Lord. This week, while looking at the Bible study three times on Tuesdays, in case you didn't hear the announcement because you're coming in late, we will look at the coming Sunday's Bible lessons every Tuesday, 7 o'clock in the morning. If that's too early, not a problem. 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Come on. Miss Olenichek's the leader. I'm the assistant. We kind of tag team this a little bit, right? And if that's in the middle of the day because you're working, not a problem because we'll get together again at 6.30. Same Bible lessons every Sunday or every Tuesday. We're going to look at the coming Sunday stuff. Please come. Bring your friends. It's a chance to talk about stuff that we don't get time to talk about on Sundays. Now to that, on this last Tuesday, we're thinking this is the fourth Sunday in Epiphany or the third Sunday in Epiphany, but it's four Sundays. We have Epiphany and then three Sundays after So on each of these Sundays, Epiphany means the unveiling, the revealing of God to us. And he perfectly did that in Jesus. If we want to know anything about God the Father, who is a mystery at times because he can't see near him, they could see Jesus and see, wow, this is what God is. And so how was that Epiphany brought up? Well, first thing we remembered on that first Epiphany on January 6th is that the wise men came. Guys from the Gentiles, like 800 miles away, they cross the desert because they were following a star that God gave to them. And they find them. They actually get to see face to face this new king, the king of kings, lord of lords, and they give them their gifts. So that was our first epiphany celebration, how God was coming to the Gentiles, the people who were no, not part of God's family, this promised Jewish people. This, um, the next Sunday after that, we had his baptism. There's another obvious epiphany. In that moment, all the people around, all of heaven and all of earth can see in one place and one time, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One, yet separate, but one. And it was bright and it was beautiful. And the Father saying, this is my Son. The Son saying, yeah. And the Holy Spirit saying, then we're going to fill and we're going to go to all the earth. And that baptism where the Spirit's there was to give to all people who are baptized. A lot of epiphany in that. A lot of revelation of who God is in that moment. The next week, yeah, a little more complicated. The third week. It's like, we have Jesus at a wedding in Cana, and they've run out of wine, and so now he's going to turn six 30-gallon containers of water. Actually, yeah, and then he's going to turn them into the finest wine. And how was that epiphany? A couple of pieces. One, Jesus is replacing an old baptism code of ritual washing with something that was going to be forever. And that could be trusted. Because before they'd just wash their hands, wash their pots, and hope that God would love them and forgive them. But after Jesus was done with it, he, see, he turns it into wine. He, t- he replaces this water with his wine. That was his blood that would come up later on with the covenant and, and his sacrifice on the cross. That washing is forever. And it's just not on your skin on the outside, it's on the inside. All that we are is going to be filled with the blood of Christ. And we'll be cleansed forever. So one, he's replacing that. That's an epiphany. But maybe even a greater epiphany on that one is God's love for God's family. There's a, there's a man and a woman, and they're going to become husband and wife. And out of that, they're going to be blessed with family, with children. And they're to give them, receive God's truth so they can give it to the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. God blessed that. And, but however, sin had come and torn it all apart. And in this 
wedding, they ran out of wine. It was a source of shame. Source of shame for them. It was a, a bad omen on their marriage. And Jesus says, no, we're going to bless this. Jesus wants to restore the family. He wants to heal us from the broken things in our families. He wants to heal us from the things we've contributed. He wants to heal us from the junk we've received. He wants to heal us, the church, as his human family, and give us hope for the future. It's not about the sins of our past. From this day forward, on that wedding, how are you going to be healed and know that you're loved by God? And we never quit. God doesn't quit on his family. So the third Sunday of Epiphany, that third Epiphany, was about the human family. He'll never quit on it, and he wants to restore us so that we can have the best of the life in the days to come. So now we get to this week, and I'm thinking, what is going through the minds of these wise church fathers who would have us have these Bible lessons on an Epiphany Sunday? What does the the reading um, in the Old Testament from Nehemiah have to do with unveiling, and what does the rejection of Jesus have to do with Epiphany? It doesn't make sense at first. Even in the Bible studies, I'm going to think for the days, like, how is this going to be an epiphany story? Actually, actually now, I've been incredibly beautiful and profound epiphany. And I'm going to tell you what the epiphany is in advance. It's the epiphany of the Old Testament and the New Testament summage into one. It's God is merciful. God is slow to anger. And God is abounding in steadfast love. That's who God is. That's what God is. He shows it in the Old Testament. They come to see that and understand it. And he's going to come to prove it in the Son in the New Testament. For all times, all places, that's who God is. God is merciful towards me, towards you, towards this creation. And he's slow to anger. Oh, he tolerates us. He keeps coming. And he's abounding. I mean, he's overflowing with love. He can't stop being who God is. And that's what we're going to see in the Old Testament. Because in Nehemiah, the people had been knuckleheads for a whole long time. The Assyrians had come down and wrecked them. And now the Babylonians had come across and conquered them. And Cyrus had, had exported them to his country far away. That had happened years before. The city was wrecked. The walls were down. The temple was wrecked. The houses were wrecked. And people were exiled. They were forced out of their country. All the people, the priests, the kings, everybody was taken out. Their holy things were desecrated. But not all of them, because Cyrus was also one of the only Gentiles, you'll read in the Old Testament, that was actually anointed or blessed by God because he was doing God's work. And he was one of the first kings that allowed people to retain their faith in their different gods. They just needed to function within his empire according to his ways. So the Jewish people actually were allowed to keep some of their holy things. And they were allowed to keep some of their teachings. And they did that. And in time, Cyrus is going to bless them to return to go back home. Say, so, yeah, go home, folks. And God's blessing him. God's inspiring his mind. God's working through this king to send his people back. And so in time, Ezra gets to go back. And when Ezra goes back, he gets to take the books. He gets to take the readings, these scriptures, these scrolls. And he goes back. And as soon as he gets back to Jerusalem, he's establishing the reading of God's word. That's the one thing that would be true and constant. And that all the people, now that they've had a chance to come back, will get to read and focus on. God loved him so much that he gave him another chance. God was merciful. You're not going to stay in exile forever. You might be in exile for a while, but you're not going to stay there. My love is bigger than your sin. So people come home. And he had them come home, just as they were. Only now they're forgiven. And when they get there, what are they going to get? 
They're going to get his word. They're going to get a priest who's going to share their word, Ezra. And he reads their word amongst them. In time, <clears throat> after Cyrus goes through the king cycles over there, there's another king that grows up, Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes. And he says, not only can you go back, but I'm going to send Nehemiah. He's going to be your governor function as your governor and you're going to rebuild your city you're going to rebuild your walls and all these little factions about who's going to have power and who's going to have authority he comes in and he establishes a theocracy essentially god is establishing i'm your god here's the order of it and with that structure and that order they be rebuild the walls 14 years after ezra after nehemiah comes back these walls are rebuilt it's a lot of work it's a lot of money it's a lot of effort they don't pay people to do it. They do it. They move the stones. They buy the mortar. They, they're investing. They're all in. And they rebuild the walls. And they rebuild the cities. And when that city is rebuilt, Nehemiah and Ezra call all the people together. And they're in by this gate, the water gate. And there on this day, they read God's word for six hours. They're standing in this place hearing the words that God gave to Moses for six hours. And as they're hearing those words, they're being cut to their hearts because they're realizing all their sinful ways, all the things that they do to contribute to the destruction of their people and their families from generations because they gave up their God and adopted false gods. All that sin of could-haves and should-haves is just pounced on them. And in there, they're weeping. Their hearts, they're not defending it. Say, oh, it was his fault or her fault. Or it, it was nothing about that. It was between them and God, and they wept. And as they were weeping, Nehemiah says, Oh, the day for weeping is now done. Blow the trumpets. Blow the trumpets. It'd be called the Feast of Trumpets even today. And on that feast, they said, No, our time of mourning is done. Our God is merciful. He is slow to anger, and He's abounding in steadfast love. This is a new day. Be God's people. And then from there, they established another day, the Festival of Booths. They, read, they started that one back up because it hadn't been done since Joshua's time. And they will read God's word for seven days straight, morning, noon, and night. And on the eighth day, they will rest with a, with a celebration. It's around God's word. And symbolically, they're at the water gate that matters because there was one source of clean water for the city, at least one. But this was a source. And at that water gate and in that water pool, that was where their clean water came. When the walls were shut up and the armies were outside attacking, they had water. Symbolically, when the world's attacking and they have their walls of truth up, they gather around God's word. So at the water gate with the clean source of water, they're reading God's word as the source of life and their God. It's not by accident. And the epiphany in all that is God is merciful. He's given them another chance. He knows what's going to happen. They're going to start doing the same things before. And there's going to be a 400-year blackout where he's done with the prophets after Micah's done. Uh, you guys, you're going to have to wait till Jesus because I'm shutting it down. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. If you're going to turn your ear back to me, I'm, going to be, I'm not going to voice to you anymore. So he knows what's going to come. And still, he blesses them with the chance to experience joy and delight and eat, drink uh, wine and have a good welcome in his hometown. He knows that they're going to shout crucify. He knows that when he's suffering on that cross, arms spread out, half mostly naked, nails in his wrist and in his feet, having, having been beaten all night, they're going to mock him. And they're going to say, if you, can, you saved others, if you can save yourself, come down from that cross. Heal yourself, doctor. Heal yourself, doctor. They're going to ridicule him. He knows that in advance. In fact, he even says that, right? You heard that today. You're going to quote to me those words. Heal yourself, doctor. 
And just as he's predicting what's going to come, he's also telling them about the past. They have been the same knucklehead people all along. They are in bondage to sin. They cannot free themselves. And they've been that way since the beginning. There was a time when Elijah was there and they were rejecting God. They were worshiping the false gods. So Isaiah says, fine, you're not going to have a drop of water and you're going to have a famine. And the only person who would receive him was a widow in Zarephath, a lowly lady and a son. And they're eating their last meal. She gave her last meal away, and he says, oh, your cup's going to be full forever. Her, your wine and, or your, your oil and your wheat will always be there, and it was. He sustained her because God's people reject him. And the same thing with Naaman the Syrian. That was mentioned. Naaman was the commander of the armies that just wrecked their northern kingdom. They hated him, and yet he's the only one that got healed of leprosy while leprosy was all around the land because they had rejected him in their hearts. But Naaman, uh, maybe he would risk it. So he gives them these stories of how the people are consistently just sinful, 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 and how God is consistently merciful, 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 slow to anger, slow to anger, slow to anger, abounding in love. Jesus knows what's going to happen, and still he's there in Nazareth doing what he's going to do. Now, another little epiphany that goes with this is that no matter what their sin of disease is, Jesus is looking at this Nazareth and saying, you're an example of all of Israel. You're actually an example of the whole world. The whole world knows what God the Father wants. The whole world has been rejecting him from the beginning because they're, they're, we're corrupted with sin. Fair enough. But that will not change my love for you. I will not quit you. I will never quit on you. I will never give up. No matter what it looks like, no matter how difficult it might be, no matter what the obstacles might be, if it takes me 14 years to build something, I'll build it. He will never quit on us. He came to seek and save the lost. And that's what he does. So he leaves Nazareth. Now think about what happens now. This is this epiphany squared. Nazareth is right here. He goes to the north and he shows the people to the north, his power, his love, his goodness, and he heals them, he frees them, he teaches them. Those people talk to Nazareth. He goes to the West and he tells the people to the West who he is. He gives them God's teaching. He heals them. He sets them free. He does all these miracles. He goes to the people of the South. He teaches them. He surrounds Nazareth for the next three years. So that eventually, maybe, just maybe, those people in Nazareth would say, he is the Messiah of God. Their hearts would be cut. They would repent and they'd be saved. And they could celebrate a feast that has no end. The epiphany in today for us is that God is merciful. And He is slow to anger. He looks at me with mercy. He looks at you with mercy. He looks at you and He says, I'm going to be slow to anger with you. You judge yourself harder than I'll judge you. He's slow to anger and He loves. He can love us more than we can love ourselves. He can love us perfectly. That's who God is. So then when we get back to how we started with the kids, who's Jesus? What's his reason and purpose? And who are we to be as church? Know the epiphany. Believe it. And then be his body. Love the way God loves. Love the way Jesus loves. Serve like God serves. Whether they say thank you or not, whether they return to you ugly words or not, you serve and you love. It doesn't matter what you get back. You just be like Jesus. And as you do so, do so humble. You're not asking for gratitude. You're not asking for recognition. You just do it because he loves you so much. You have no other thing but to love. You can't do anything but to love. So you do so with humility and gratitude. Give God thanks for the grumpy people. 
Give God thanks for the hard-headed people and the mean-hearted people. And the people, most of the time, the grumpy people and the hard people, they're just wounded. It's the hurt people that hurt. Healed people can love and be kind. The hurt people, a lot of times they just hurt. They need our love most. And you do this because we're obedient to the Father. Because that's who God is. The epiphany for us today is who God is and who we're called to be. That we will be merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. God help us be that church. Amen. Amen. Let us declare our faith. We'll use the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we offer our prayers for the church, the world, and all those in needs, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. You are my rock and my redeemer. Loving Father, we pray for the gift of divine peace and to unite the hearts and minds of your people to know and do your will. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O Lord, we pray for each member of the body of Christ, the church, that all of God's children would identify their God-given talents and abilities and put them to work. Give us a willingness to give and use our talents in a place of joyful service to you and your church. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That members of the body would see themselves as valuable and needed parts to further the kingdom of God. But most of all, help us all to see and celebrate the value of others as parts of the church. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Great physician and healer, we pray for all shut-ins and homebound, hospitalized and those undergoing treatment, awaiting surgery and recovery. Today we remember Jeff and family, Jody, Carol, Herb and Christina, Linda, Rachel, Barbara, Mary, Bill, Jack, Robert and Charlotte, Herb, Marcy, Perry, Lori, Bob, Dallas, Greg, Carrie, and Betty. We also remember the Bethina family in India as they mourn the death of Selvi, their sister and leader, and those we name in our hearts. That their suffering be relieved, their sorrows be comforted, and their hearts know the fullness of your peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Blessed Savior, you have made the church to be your home for all people. You have called each of us to be your disciples, to know Jesus, and to make him known. 
help Emmanuel Lutheran be the hands and the feet of God in Northwest Arkansas. Put the name and the face of someone that needs us this week on our heart and on our minds. Help us to reach out to them in love. Lord, in your mercy. We offer up these and all other prayers which are upon in our minds and our hearts. Or accept these prayers of your children in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.